0: You can lock like my body, can't trap my mind, not will ever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, F-P-B-P, stand for free the Black Panthers, and up the black police, feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership rose, but we still here, in the bill here, up tail Pro, show, they got me started, lying hearted, I'm the new Mufasa. Think this shit gon' be televised? Black power, be scared guys That be standing there like they paralyzed huh? We safe for the system Cause we above the system We keep ARs and pistols Shotguns, that's worth to crystal But that's for self-defense Make sure we have no issues Be sure to leave it at the door If you have it with you This for them freedom fighters That lost their freedom Until they freedom We screaming, Carpe D. Khalid muhammad we gon' make your day a holiday, I fuck me, i Free the Black Panthers, F-E-B-P, stand for Free the Black Panthers, it's up the Black Police, that 13th Amendment, tryna make a slave of me, you can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free, okay, Free the Black Panthers, F-E-B-P, stand for Free the Black Panthers, it's up the Black Police Fair our movement, for black leadership roles. But we still here, in the bill here, upcoin tail pro RBG, 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 RBG My sisters, my brothers, the counselor, the elders, That's really all I need We suited, we booted, don't do it You stupid, we head to the armory Black women and goddess, regardless My heart just don't fall with misogyny Foolish that don't tolerate it Melanated, so you gotta hate it rock up, another conversation Trump finna to get inaugurated Damn, unify
1: or die NBPP.org Amendment forced our people to be subjects of this government. We never had any say in that. We need our own nation. Start off with our brothers and sisters um, with libation. Um, We have a very uh, stacked lineup today. Our first speaker is scheduled to come on in 40, 36 minutes. but before that, we wanted to open up with libation. So the libation uh, is supposed to be done by our brother, Jamoke. And so I would expect him to be getting on in the next six minutes. Um, we also, uh, from there, we, we were able to, uh, thanks to brother J- Jai Lukeman, uh, he was able to get our brother Sipaway uh, to come on uh, to give us some words from the motherland. Um, so he wasn't initially scheduled to speak, but we're going to give him a few moments, uh, immediately after Jamoke does the libation. After Jamoke does his libation, then we will hear from Brother Kofi Tahawka of the Black Knight at front. And then of course we'll have our brother right here, Baba James Rogers, uh, coming on board. So we're going to get this show on the road. Just like this backlight, we need, probably need to put it down on the ground. It's, it's giving me a lens flare. We're still trying to get our set together here. We'll probably just put on the floor and we'll give me some backlight. That's all I needed was the backlight. Is that better? Yeah, this seems a little bit better.
2: Okay, I was just concerned because I did uh, 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 send a text to Lady Nelson, who's in, in Ghana right now, and I uh, wanted to make sure she can tune in with the link that you sent us she she texted me and said it it says uh you know uh the host is waiting or something like that so i'm here now
1: the host is not waiting anymore
2: so she should be able to tap in is she on the
1: youtube channel or the zoom
2: youtube
1: yeah again we would not be on youtube right now we do not have the link for youtube so unfortunately we're trying to get the youtube connected but it's not working so right now we're gonna we're gonna uh, get the word out as best we can. If folks need to tap into that Zoom link,
2: okay, tap into you.
1: the Zoom link because the YouTube cross stream we were not able to make that happen. Uh, we've been trying uh, over here. Maybe we get somebody to can call in that's a bit more familiar. Um, we've done a, a couple of attempted dry runs, and for some reason we must be missing a beat. So okay. we, did, we didn't want to further delay the program. Uh, so with that being said. We wanna go ahead and get the show going. Uh, do do you did you hear anywhere from Jamoke? Okay? Any checks from anybody? Okay. I will believe the brothers should be coming on, hopefully in the next three minutes. Uh, we will start off with libation. Um for those of you who are tuning in, I am Sister Krista Mohammed, uh representing the New Black Panther Party for self defense, uh as the national chair. You can contact us at nbpp.org. That's nbpp.org. Now, although we are not um, at this moment going live on YouTube, although we're attempting to get that straight, but once we get that straight, uh, we will, um, folks will be able to access it. But as a backup, we will definitely take this recording and then um, upload it to YouTube. Although, but hopefully we're able to. At some point, we got 12 hours of, of broadcast. We're not going to give up until we get this live on YouTube. So in the meantime, in between time, the this, this Zoom, this Zoom link uh, is going to be the best way to, for folks to access us. Now we have uh, – I guess we should go ahead, since we got some time, we'll have Brother um, Luke Mon. I see you're on. Brother Yukmon, did you want to say something while we have you on here? Brother Luke Mon. Okay. Can you hear me, brother? All right, brothers and sisters. We're not going to just sit, sit here. Can, is that you, Brother Luke Mon? Can you hear me? Did you want to say something while you have an opportunity? You got to take your phone off of mute. By the waiting now, brother, Jamoke okay to get on. Free to land. Free to land, brother.
3: Yeah, uh, I see that we got just two people right here, and I'm uh, happy to see that we do have the people here starting to come in, and that's a good thing. Um, my topic for the day is reparations, and what I want to say about reparations is that um, – it's a very, very important issue. We have to pay real close attention to how the movement is developing and how a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon. And uh, I think they see that it's a bravery train, huh? And we have to be careful. Even within the Black Liberation Movement or the Black Freedom Movement, we got to be careful. But there are, uh, uh, people coming in and they might not be, uh, dedicated to the cause a lot of people come in let's say for example you got lawyers and you got doctors they go into the field because they want to help people and then you got some people that go into the field specifically for the money you got doctors that care they care about the profession they care about saving lives then you got other people they going into the medical field just for the money same thing about reparations you got a lot of people coming into the reparations movement they ain't coming here to get no reparations for no black folks. They don't give a damn about black folks, even though some of them may be black. A lot of them may be black. They come in here because they see the money floating around, and they see a a dollar bill whistling in the wind. So we got to be careful about that. And, you know, a lot of these cats are black capitalists, uh, black uh, opportunists, black, uh, 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 they want to co-op the movement. You know, they doing it, and, you know, a lot of people are talking about different ways we can use the non-profit sector to expand the Black Liberation Movement and the Black Freedom Struggle and Liberation. We have to be very careful when we taking money and grants from other people and funding from other people to finance our struggle and our liberation. Because he who pay the pipe and call or the tune. Everybody know that. And everybody who say that they are our ally, ain't our ally. You know. We have to go back and we got to understand that I just went to a Juneteenth festival Saturday. You got a bunch of white corporations sponsoring Juneteenth. Yeah, do done with mainstream. When reparations go mainstream, you're gonna have a lot of white corporations and a lot of uh, finances and companies that's gonna put their money out there and it's gonna be enticing and a lot of people gonna crumble under the pressure. They, they heart, their dedication, they commitment going to be undermined and, you know, they ain't going to be true to it. Another thing I want to say is that, boom, everybody who's talking need to make sure that when we talk about reparations, we, because I was just on a MACBC this morning, they got a dude up there talking about reparations and uh talking about he only supported with red lining. And other than that, all stuff is going back centuries ago. He don't have, you don't see no justification for, and that it's not, uh, you know. So in the, in the mainstream media is putting people up on reparations to talk about reparations who don't have no uh, concrete, intelligent understanding of reparations and no serious commitment to reparations just to give a political spin or twist to the issue. And this is what we got to deal with. We got to control the narrative dealing with reparations. We got to control the narrative. And not only that, we have to control the narrative with the Black Liberation Movement. That means we have to take advantage of the media and the communication systems that we can access. And uh, like Crystal said, she's going to try to help them get us on YouTube. All these different forms of media is how we have to combat the disinformation and the misinformation. And another thing I want to point out is when we're just dealing with reparations and talking to everybody about reparations, the most important thing, we need to let them know that number one, on the reparations list is land. Land, number one. In the message to the black man, uh, Elijah Muhammad in, in the Black Refined he said talking about seven states. Seven or eight states. We at the Republic of New Africa, we're talking about five states at a minimum. At a minimum. That's number one on the list. Land. Land is the basis of freedom, wealth and power. Land is the basis of freedom, wealth, and power. So number one on the list is land. We got more bones, more blood, more sweat, more tears buried in this soil than anybody that's on this continent, including the Native American Indians. Yeah, we recognize they just claimed. But we got a vested interest and a vested stake in this land over here, and we ain't going nowhere. Did We built this country, made the most powerful country in the world, and we're not going to abandon that. And they stole us. They stole our labor. They stole our lives. They stole our blood. And so we want that back. We want an accounting. And it's going to be a fair and just accounting. We ain't going to have these blue Negroes selling us out and getting us some tokens and some symbolism and calling it a reparation. You got all kinds of people coming up with reparation packages. William Daddy put that $14 trillion out there for our labor. Okay, well, labor ain't the number one issue that we want to get paid for. It's on, the, it's on the list, but it ain't the number one issue we want to get paid for. Our lives are three times more valuable than our labor. So if you can come up with $14 trillion for our labor, then you multiply that time three, and that's the value of our lives. And the first bones I want to start counting is the, my ancestors, the bones at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. We ain't even got to America yet into who done died and been abused on the slave plantation. But so we want all that to go into that county and we want to add it up. And we want our just set. Now we understand that we got people who want to stay and be part of America. We got people who want to reparate rep- back to Africa or go to some other country. And we got us who want our own nation in the Black Belt South. Everybody got their right. Everybody should receive a just, uh a, 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 just what they entitled to and the exercise they right to the free choice and get what they got coming and what they deserve. And so for uh, 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 participating in the American political and economic system right now, we got a lot of brothers and sisters participating in that system. But I'm going to like this here, if you ain't, and if you want to test somebody and see if they real, first thing you need to do is, where you at on reparations? I got several different mayors down here in North Carolina, I mean South Carolina, in the city. I mean, want my back and in my support. And I got a, 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 a highly a positioned uh, sisters in the political uh, uh, establishment down here asking me to support this candidate, that candidate. Well, I'm, my thing is, how do you know a black hypocrite? Ma'am, how do you know a black hypocrite? I, I don't care what his value, I mean, I don't care what his skills is, what his capability is, and yet you talking about he the most qualified, the most skillful, the most knowledgeable for the guy, well, I want to know where his heart at. I want to know what his mindset is, what his value is, where is he at on reparation? Is he willing to go out for the people and fight for reparation? Because if he ain't, I can't say too much about it. I can't tell you he ain't no coon, I can't tell you he ain't no seller, I can't, I can't, base, uh, uh, nothing concrete on that, if he ain't willing to go out for the people and fight for reparations, Now, some of these cats might be uh, uh, unwilling, feel like they might not win the office if they talk about reparation. But well, let me know if you're making a tactical decision that once you get in the seat, you're going to put reparation through by executive order or something that you can do as a mayor or as a county uh, uh, commissioner, chairman, of the, whatever. And if you're making a tactical decision, I can understand that. But I need to understand where your heart is before I even give you my support, before we even go to the election day and all that. And any time we participate in the American political system, everybody needs to know that we participate in the American political system solely to advance black liberation. That means we have to have a black agenda. At the top of that agenda is self-determination and reparations. If you participate in the American political system, use it to advance black liberation, national independence, and reparations. If you ain't doing that, you don't need to be participating in the American electoral system. Yeah, we got a lot of people that want to continue to assimilate with the American uh, enterprise. But that's a, 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 a very uh, serious relationship we need to understand on how the black nationalists going to work with the black assimilation and integration because all nations groups like the in We have brothers and sisters on, in the different uh factions or wings of the of the black freedom movement. You got nationalists over here, you got integration here, you got reparate repair rep, rep, for people who wanna rep, reparate back to Africa. And we got to understand that this got to be balanced down and everybody fully and equally represented when we uh 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 when whoever's gonna be making decisions on behalf of the people else, uh, like the uh, House Bill 40, H R 40, say set up a commission and then uh, uh, the president nominates some people, the House, the pe- the man of the, of the House president nominates people, and then one other cat nominates people, and then there's uh, spots for like six, or seven other civil society groups that've been in uh reparation for a long time. Okay, well, how, what would the composition of this be, and how many Black nationalists and Black revolutionaries gonna be in that composition? Or is it going to be a commission pulling of Uncle Tom, and sellout. black hypocrites? We got to be careful. You're digging all this infighting fighting that we got going on among ourselves over who's going to get what, who needs to be at the front of the line. Look, this is how we need to understand this here. We don't need buy the, the, the we don't need the, the slave mouth coming out and say, "Y'all over here." when dealing with my family, if the white man across the street owe me something and he done hurt my family and people in my family, I don't need him coming over there and say, Well, I'm gonna give your cousin this, I'm gonna give your son that, I'm gonna give your wife this, and I'm gonna give your such and such. No, nigga just give me the whole goddamn package and I can make sure that my family get what they each gonna get their fresh up.
1: I got to I'm I'm the head of the house. Right on. on. We can we
3: can do this. We can figure this free the land.
1: Uh, any means necessary. We can, we
3: can see this.
1: Excuse me, brother Go brother ahead. Luke mine. Uh we're gonna uh ask you to give us about two, one more minute to wrap this up. We got our brother that's gonna come on and start the libation. We wanna thank Brother Luke Mon for number one, uh coming on uh and filling in this time slot while we're trying to get uh I need everybody let me see who I need to everybody look meet that line if they're not uh speaking, or should be speaking right now. I guess the only mic should be open right now is me and look my I'm hearing some background. Okay. We got a lot of folks joining on. I'm hearing some background. But what we want to do is uh, we want to thank our brother, Look for coming on board, not only this morning, they help us. Uh, I need to get into camera. Look, we got a studio production going on here, brothers and sisters. We got this phone. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're trying to get it together here. We got the brother in the background telling me I'm out of frame. You know, frame, frame perfect, now. huh? Is that right? Man, my comrade's gonna have me right. The other brother telling me my my lipstick was crooked. Do you got uh you oh, no. do you do you got record It's recording, right? <laughs> Crystal,
3: it's recording, right?
1: Yes, we are so recording.
3: There's, there's, on, yes. We are okay, recording. We are
1: recording. Just in
3: case uh some people don't come in or can't hear if we come back later on.
1: Oh, it's recording. It's definitely recorded. And in just a second, I'm okay, so going to turn. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, in go just ahead. a second, And just a minute, I'm going to turn it over my laptop over to the brother that's going to uh, try to get the, the laptop together for us uh, to to get this YouTube on. Because I've been trying my darn just to, to connect it. I got the Zoom down pat, <laughs> but we got to get this YouTube okay. connected. And uh, so we're gonna work on getting that together. So. We appreciate everybody's patience. Uh, we do need, however, um, to, for, I wanted to thank you, brother, no, before I be turn you over, not only for coming on and helping us to fill in this gap well, this morning, well, give me, give me one, but also me, one second. One one I want okay. to thank you for coming on, and I also want to thank you for bringing brother, from Guinea-Bissau on, brother Stepway. So uh, I want you can wrap it up, but I still want you to come back and introduce him properly uh because you, you have a lot of more insight uh into the, the great work that our brother's doing. But we'll have you do that after the, uh brother uh Jamoke does the libations. So one one minute and let's go ahead and wrap this up and then uh we gotta get the, the official program rolling. And we thank everybody for your patience. We're gonna get this thing rolling okay. smoother, but one thing for sure, the show what it said, the show is, is uh Moving forward, Show must go on. <laughs> the show's
4: going on. Yeah. Quick question, Crystal: Will I be able to um, share my screen, or did you receive my presentation? Or well, um,
1: you and who is who am I speaking with?
4: Simple away.
1: away. Um this i This is brother. I, I, I will, you can. I'll let you share your screen. You will be able to share your screen. Yeah. Uh, you know what? This is what we're going to do. A few people sent me the presentation. But uh, I'm, let's do a couple of house rules. Number one, we want to thank the Most High in the Creator and all our ancestors for bringing us to this day. We have the benefit of having this technology. You know, we're still trying to master it. You know, don't get us wrong. You know, this might be a little choppy in the beginning, but I guarantee you, we got 12 hours to make this a smooth ride. <laughs> so we're just starting. We have some very powerful speakers coming on. Um, so we have some very, uh, serious brothers and sisters that are signing in and participating. Um, we got comrades here in the backdrop. You know, we've done a lot over the weekend hitting these streets, but we want to ask you, everyone, to be respectful of one another. Um, even when we open up the floor for audience participation, uh, we only want people that are for reparations to be participated. If you have a problem with reparations, you can hang up the line now or don't even try to get into the conversation because we will drop you. But we don't have any of those type of people on the line right now, but these are just the house rules. I want you to be respectful, and we also are going to ask you, brothers and sisters, to be patient with us uh, as we are getting our act together uh, on this broadcast. So without further ado, Brother Luke Marn, uh one minute, to finish what you're saying but bring on brother jamoke who is a presenter but we are going to make sure that we open up this program all the way all the way right and have libation before we bring on brother kofi to the, the national chair of the black united front so one minute brother luke mine black power. okay uh black power we go uh, I think Super Wave
3: would probably be the best one to introduce him itself. So I'm gonna
1: we let are, him we're introduce not doing himself. him yet. We're doing Jamoki, then Super, Super Wave. Well, you
3: told me to introduce
1: him. It's not time for him so yet. I told
3: you well, I told you. Well, I know. I'm just saying I'm going to let him introduce himself. Because <laughs> you asked me to introduce
1: him. Brother, we ain't got time for that, Look, brother. Mahoney, I'm going to boot you off. No, I'm just kidding. But listen, uh, we, we, we need this to move smoothly. This is. I'm just trying to be clear. Uh you don't want to introduce him, okay? We'll wrap it up in this one minute, and then we we'll bring Jim I'm okay on, um, and that's that. Me. All right, Black Power, one me minute, me.
3: minute, brother. One minute. Uh, only thing I want to say is that uh, we got to, we can't be having no illusions about reparations on whatever, on every level. Uh,
4: you know, it's going on at
3: county level, at state level, national level, at international level. And this has to be a coordinated movement because otherwise if we, one level or one front to undermine or be counterproductive to another level and another. Uh, So we don't, we have to understand that. We can't just believe that, hey man, everything will all fall together. Or that what happened at the local and the state level going, uh, 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 automatically result in something at the national and international (laughs) level. They have to be strategically implemented. They have to be well thought out, not from just a political, but also from a legal perspective. And we also have to understand that the political and the legal, uh, aspect of the reparation movement has got to be backed by a serious, a serious, uh, 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 threat that if you don't give us what we want, it's going to be a problem. You dig what I'm saying? Cause power can seize nothing without demand. And Frederick Douglass said, "Who he, he who uh, will be free must strike the blow." Thank and Cottrell told us this last thing. Black Ida power. Told us, yeah, black power. I
1: don't know what kind of minute you got, brother. You got a you, got a, super, you got a super minute. Just, <laughs> it's all Black good. power. Black power. Black power. We we love you, brother. We appreciate you. Black power. Uh, brother, brother Jamoke. Without any further ado, uh, Nana Kwesi Jamoke, even Tayo, proper name. But I'm. This is my comrade. I, I I call this brother all times a a night and day with with these uh, inspired uh, things we would like to do in the cause of reparations, in the cause of freedom fighting, in the cause of Republic of New Africa. What's going on on the continent? I met uh Brother Jamoke in um when Sister Mama and Jerry passed away within Cobra. Uh uh I was at the services uh for the sister and I, I didn't meet him directly but he was I saw him in passing but I was able to really build with him in Jackson, Mississippi on reparations. Um and so uh we've been rolling ever since. So, Brother Jamoke, we would ask you to get our program Kicked off official official as far as bringing in our libations, and then we're gonna keep rolling as best we can on the tight time schedule from that. Black Power. I don't hear you. Oh, your phone, your your mute is still on. The camera's on, but the mute is on.
5: Anyway, I don't know. Black power and free land.
1: By the means necessary.
5: Yes, so um, thank you, uh, Comrade Crystal Muhammad, for giving me this opportunity to open up with the libation. Um, I've always respected the work that you do in this movement. You are a serious warrior woman, and you do serious work, not just be talking about it. You be out in the streets doing the work of our people, dealing with um, murder, police murders, and many other things that you deal with in a very hands-on way. So we respect and appreciate your work, and thank you for your work. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to do opening libation. I'm assuming probably most people on this call are familiar with libation. Um, Libation is simply a prayer. It's a way that we acknowledge the presence of the creator, acknowledge the presence of our ancestors. everything that we do. We just take a pause from time to time throughout the day or before we do the major importance like this gathering to recognize the presence of the creator and recognize the presence of our ancestors. Those who are joint, those who are on the call, you can participate in the libation by affirming Affirming it by saying ashe. Ashe means and so be it. Also spiritual power. You're more comfortable with saying amen, you can say amen. You're more comfortable with saying amen, you can say amen. You're more com- comfortable with saying aye bobo. You can say aye bobo. Um, those are some of the common um, affirmations. Let's Let's start by first taking a deep breath in breathing out slowly, breathing in again, breathing out one more time, breathing in slowly, breathing in,
6: breathing out.
5: Don't you bow Olu Dumaré? Ache. do you bow Ori? Ache. Don't you bow Babalawisa? Ache. Don't you bow Iyalawisa? Ache. Don't you bow Egungun? to We the Creator known by many names. Sometimes oh, oh, oh. called God. Sometimes oh, oh. called Allah. Sometimes called Jehovah, Yahweh, Olu Dumaré, Olu. Gulu we salute the Creator, the Owner of the heavens, and we say Ashe. We salute what we know as the angels of heaven, sometimes oh, called Arisha, yeah, yeah. sometimes called Nitzavruos, oh, okay. and we say Ashe, Ashe. We salute our ancestors at Ashe, Ashe. We salute our spiritual head, our ori, ashe. 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 We give thanks and praises for this gathering as we have come together today to mark the holy day to, known as Juneteenth, but more importantly to have a serious conversation on reparations. So we give thanks and praises that all of the speakers will bring us wisdom and knowledge and that their words will be a anointing and their words will give us power in to continue to move movement. forward in this reparation movement. We say, Ashe. 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 We give thanks and praises and acknowledge the lands from which we, we live on, sometimes called some, the people known as the Washita. Ashe. 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 Also, Dave Doug and Ranya. I'm in the land no, known as Seminole land but we also recognize the Muskogee, the Cherokee, the Chiefs, the Choctaw, the Chickasaw, Navajo, Dine, and other native indigenous of this land. Ashe? We recognize that our beginning and sojourn and the beginning of the reparations conversation does not begin here on these lands, but it begins on our great continent, Mother Africa. Akiba Lime, Tom Mary, also known by many names. So we give thanks for the fact that we were the first to begin to create the systems of civilization. We were the first to create the concept of family, of governance, of medicine, science, astronomy, astrology, numerology, medicine, healing, uh, physics, everything that's uh, spiritual spiritual systems known as religions. now. We give thanks and praises that we were the first to create these systems and to bring them into their highest level. So we give thanks and praises for our ancient ancestors who lived their transition on the African soil. Ache? I We get thanks and praises for our fighters and warriors who defended our land when people came into our land to, to take our resources, including our human bodies, people like yah sure, Ashe. 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 people like Queen and Benzinga Ashe. Ashe. Ashe, and Prampe, Ashe, and many Ashe. 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 people who give thanks and praise for those who resisted, and those who fought all the way to the ship, to the enslavement dungeons, Ashe, Ashe. Ashe. Those who, who took over ships and steered them back, or attempted to steer them back to Africa. I say, those who took over ships, I say. And yet, and still, some of us survived. If it wasn't for those who survived, we wouldn't be here to tell the story. So we give thanks and praises for our ancient ancestors who built this country, who built the Caribbean, who built South America. We give thanks and praises for their sacrifices, for clearing the lands, for draining the swamps, for building roads for building um agriculture, I say. I I And at this time, if you would like to call out those warrior ancestors who inspire you to do this work that we're doing for reparations and for liberation of the people of African descent, you may call those names at this time. I'll start us off with the honorable Marcus Asai Garvey, I say. And we always like to acknowledge his divine compliments, Amy Jack Garvey and Amy Ashley Garvey, I say,
4: I say, I say,
5: Malcolm X and Betty Shabazz, I say, I say, Geronimo G. Jagger, I say,
2: I say,
5: Turner, I say, I say, and Marquis Gabriel Foster, Harriet Tubman, Queen Mother Moore, I say, I say, we give thanks. Give thanks praises for those strong warriors, people like Dr. Khaled Mohammed, Ashay. Elijah Mohammed, Asheh. Asheh. Give Ashe. thanks and praises for Noble Drew Ali, Asheh. Asheh. Ashe. Ashe. Baba Oserjiman, Asheh. Baba, Ashe. Baba Imari Obadeli, Asheh. Asheh. Queen Mother Dorothy Benton Lewis, Asheh. Callie Howe, Isaiah Dixon. Give thanks and praises for artists, musicians we have to heal us people like robert nestor marley ashe, ashe. ashe. and uh um, thinking about so many so many so many healers many of the maroon ashe. Ashe. ashe and we want to also remember those ancestors who are in our own bloodline our grandmothers and grandfathers our great-grandmothers and great grandfathers those who prayed a prayer for us, those who sacrifice for us, those who worked and to do whatever they felt was necessary to create a better world for African people, to create more space for African people. And we build on their legacy. We continue their traditions. We continue their hopes and their aspirations. So I'll start off with my mother Yeah, Olayo de Fuke, I share. Her mother, um Rebecca. Lane Simmons and Grandfather Lawrence Jasper Simmons. I
2: see.
5: We recognize those who made quilts to give signs for our people on the Freedom Road, those who like I said, did whatever was necessary to help to create space for us. So we honor our grandmothers and grandfathers and great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers and cousins and uncles and nephews. We want to honor those um, ancestors who
1: um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Know. Whose,
5: whose lives were cut yeah. short yeah. as they yeah. were just living their lives. Yeah. So many names yeah. that we call out due to police brutality, due oh, to yeah. lynching, due yeah. to yeah. so many different things. But um, well, we honor them at this time. are she? And then we want to close the libation out.
3: Hmm.
5: Creating visualizing, and not just visualizing, but doing the work that we need to do to bring about the necessary healing and repair of our people, to bring about reparations in our lifetime, to bring about sovereign nations in our lifetime, to bring about African sovereignty, redemption, liberation, freedom. These are not abstract terms. These are real concepts that we can see in our lives or in our children's lives or in our grandchildren's lives. So we send a prayer out to our children's children's children, that they will continue to pick up the baton. They will continue to pick up the weapons. They will continue to pick up the movement. They will continue to pick up uh, institution building. They will continue to pick up those things that are necessary to create a better world for themselves and then their children yet unborn. When we say Ashe, Ashe, Ashe,
1: Ashe, Shu. Michelle. Thank you, Brother Jamoke. Black Black Power. We still will be hearing a full presentation from Brother Jamoke at uh one thirty Central Time, two thirty Eastern. He's got a full presentation, but we know we had to start off on the right beat on the spiritual path. So with that being said, Brothers and sisters, it is Juneteenth, June 19th, 2023. We are going 12 hours straight today. We have a a powerful lineup of brothers and sisters with the information to bring you, not just talking heads, but actual brothers and sisters who have been putting in the work, boots on the ground, praying with their feet, putting actions, thoughts, strategy, blood, sweat, and tears, uh into this our brother right now that's about to come up is my my my, my big brother comrade he's the national chairman of the national black knighted front he has been uh, a frontline uh soldier not only in houston texas but across the, the nation and at the forefront of pushing the matter of reparations Strong not only in the city of Houston, or across the nation, but the National Black and the Front has done international work as it relates to reparations. So as I bring our brother on, I mean, I, we've been fighting against police brutality. Hell, we've been locked up in jail together for shutting down the Harris County uh, courthouse, demanding the district attorney to deal with the police brutality. I mean, from political mobilizing to fighting for the rights of those brothers and sisters who didn't have a voice or who needed more of a voice with no no questions asked, our brother, Brother Kofi Taharqa. Black Power, Brother Kofi, you have the floor.
6: Black Power, we want to say Asante sana. Thank you very much, Sister National Chair woman, Crystal Muhammad, for inviting us to participate in this very important discussion and information session around the issue of the full and complete demand for reparations. I want to talk today about, about three different things. One, I'm going to deal first with the National Black United Front's work in the reparations movement on an international level, a national level and a local level. And then I'm gonna talk some about our work in standing up against the criminal injustice system and for the freedom of our political prisoners, prisoners of war, and those in exile and how that ties in as part and parcel of the demand for reparations. And then third, I wanna dig into an aspect one aspect of all of these injury errors, areas, if you will, um, that came upon us that ties into all of that work, and it has to do with the convict lease and labor system. And that system here in the Houston area was, there was a grave site unveiled where the ancestral remains Of those who were entrapped in that system and then known as the sugarland 95 and then just close out with a few announcements i do uh sister crystal if you could tell me how we proceed relative to the powerpoint presentation that i have submitted and i'll be ready to to go
1: okay yes sir yes sir brother Coffee. Uh yes, you say you ready to get that PowerPoint going? Yes sir. Yes, second. ma'am. Uh mm-hmm. you know what? I gotta get this band on beat. One more quick second. Uh no problem. Can you can you give me give me three more minutes five more minutes, brother?
6: Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Um uh, when we started out, I wanted to dedicate my remarks to uh sister Belinda Sutton. They say that she put in a claim for reparations in seventeen eighty three her slave master was successful to our great sister Callie House who organized in the late 1800s around the demand for reparations and got a trumped up charge from the U.S. Postal Service. I think she did a year in prison. And then also many of us now who are old enough to have seen at all of our national gatherings our great sister and the voice of reparations movement in the 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s of Queen Mother Audley Moore. So just like we started out with libation, we know that this call and demand for reparations is deep, deep rich in our history as a people and that there are many of those great ancestors that have come before us who put in the work and we're picking up or have picked up the torch if you will picked up the banner and we've had the opportunity to sit at their feet and hear from them i'll let you know a part of the presentation that i'm going to give we were fortunate i'm based out of houston and we were fortunate to have the president of the uh, Republic of New Africa, the provisional government of the Republic of New Africa for about 20 years in our area, Dr. Imari Abubakari Obadeli. And we also know, I know the brothers and sisters that are on the line know that he's one of the founders and uh, of INCOBA National Coalition for Blacks for Reparations in America. He was teaching at Prairie View A&M University. And I can't tell you how valuable to have him for 20 years right at our beck and call helping to have us understand the importance of reparations, have us know and understand how we should strategize and what the work was That we needed to be doing, so that's one of the uh, ancestors that imbue across the country since our founding in 1980, Um, as well as Baba Chokwe, Lumumba, and many others. We have a tight alliance with them in helping us to understand and how it is that we should go about dealing with this call and demand for reparations. Now. Uh it seems like maybe we I, I guess I'm still on. We having a little a little challenge there. I will tell you, uh Sister Crystal, if need be, I don't know about sharing my screen. I can pull up the presentation myself. So I know we're trying to get it we're trying to get it going. Um I'll just talk through some of it in the interest of time. Uh and yes, I'm just, trying to uh I'm yes. trying
1: to do it. Here. It seems like it's doing everything but opening.
6: Right, right. It's a link.
1: Let's it's see the here. Mm-hmm. You are screen sharing. All right. Let's see. So you want? To, let's see if you, if I allow you to do it. Are you on your laptop? Yes. Okay. Let's see.
6: might have to make me a co-host temporarily.
1: Mm, Well, I just pushed the thing to say allow multiple folks, uh, multiple participants can share. Uh, Who can share all participants? You're good. So you're up. Let me see. Let me stop my share. We see you, Kofi. There you go.
6: All right. Can we can see the screen? Yes, sir. All right. Black Power. Black Power. Black again, Sante Sana. Again, I already mentioned these ancestors dedicating those remarks to it, and I'm going to go into uh, the topics in which I spoke about. Let me get my thing together a little bit. I think I'm ready so I mentioned to you, uh, sisters and brothers, I want to talk a little bit about him and our involvement in the a, in a, uh, reparations movement. And there, uh, most of the people on the line, but some people listening might not know, but there's Dr. Imari Abubakari Obedele at one of our national um, conventions. 1996, some of us will remember that it came out, it was reported that the CIA had been involved with the distribution, getting money from the sale of drugs through the Contras and the distribution of crack cocaine. So in, from 1996 to 1998, the National Black United Front, under the leadership of Egum, our brother, Dr. Conrad Warrell, they sought to duplicate in some forms the 1951 petition that had been taken to the United Nations by Patterson, Robeson, and Du Bois, charging the United States government with genocide. What we did, and I want to say, let me start off, I'm, 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 I'm talking about the inbox, but everything I got to say involved other organizations, other individuals, other people, and us working in a collective. The second thing that you'll see about some of our work is most of our work that it has a mask appeal to it all right so what we did was uh we put together a petition charging the united states government with genocide in the first phase of that petition we we're able to garner with no budget just the 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 support of our our allies comrades people around the country 157 000 signatures that where people signed on for us as black people, as people of African descent, who charged the United States government with genocide. I think it was May of 1997 that our brother, uh, again, Dr. Warrell, Brother Bob Brown from the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, Sister Mawia Buseji, Brother Samori Grace, Brother James Mohammed went to Geneva, Switzerland, delivered those petitions charging the United States government with genocide around the issue that had been revealed in the San Jose Mercury News article by Gary Webb, showing the length of how the government of the United States and the CIA was making money off of the sale of drugs through their contracts through street organizations. There was another phase where we got another 60,000 signatures, and many of us went to New York City also delivering that petition. There's a procedure, they call it the 1503 procedure, I believe, where they received those petitions. The U.S. State Department, all they did was basically say that they received them, but it did put some pressure on the government and i think clinton was the president at the time and uh put together some race initiatives or race panels moving on in 2001 the december 12th movement who i highly recommend for people who are interested in the international work relative to african people as one of those uh, grassroots organizations that's been doing this work for a long time helped Sparehead, along with Incobra, Imbuff, and many other groups, what we call the Durban 400, to go to the United Nations World Conference Against Racism that was held in Azania, South Africa in Azania. And again, the idea was a mass base to put together not one individual leader that said that they, he or she spoke for our people, but to go there and lobby that conference to identify the transatlantic slave trade as a crime against humanity, that it had an economic base, and that reparations were due. This is on the international stage, on the diplomatic front. Many MBUF members, D12 members, and COBRA members, reparations, activists, organizers, and community groups did go to Azania. And at the end of the day, they did get the language in the document. The United States walked out of that conference. They walked out, and other Western uh, uh, countries actually walked out of that conference, but they were putting pressure on African governments not to vote for that particular language. And there's a document, I think it may be called the Durban document, and they even tried after the conference to take the language out of it. But that is the Durban 400. Then on the national level, many of us who are on here will remember the Millions for Reparations movement that was held on the 115th birthday of the right excellent Marcus Mosiah Garvey in Washington, D.C., and 50,000-plus of our people from across the country and across the globe came to Washington, D.C., not under some ambiguous banner. We all came there understanding that we were putting ourselves there to demand reparations for our people. And this was organized primarily by the December 12th movement, the National Black United Front, um, and supported by INCOGRA and a number of other organizations. That's just uh, something from one of our newspapers there. And then uh, that's something from our delegation, one of our delegations, that was there, and that slogan was: "They sold us, they sold us, and they owe us." You see it now. The last thing on the on the national level that I want to call to our attention is that uh, brother brother Dr. Egun Comrade had enlisted the help of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan around what was termed the Indaba, the big sit down, and there were four. Or five of these that took place across the country where many of the reparations organizations and activists and organizers were brought together in somewhat of a mini, a mini conference. And Houston was one of those cities. I think Jackson, Mississippi with Boba Chokeway, Baltimore, and there were some other ones. Now this here is just an article that I wrote, uh, after the event. It was 10,000 plus. Black folks at the Texas Southern University there to hear Brother Minister Farrakhan talk about the issue of reparations. And you see a lot of different um, groups were represented, but it was a whole weekend worth of activities. And the goal of that was to bring some unity together with us around this demand for reparations, as well as do some major education on the subject matter. Now, while that was going on, we had across the country, particularly here in our locale, what we call the Local Action Committee on Reparations, the Local Action Committee on Reparations. And, yes.
5: Am I on the only one? I only see the dedication page. I don't see you moving through the slides.
6: Oh, wow. Okay.
5: Hello. I just see it on the dedication page still.
6: Oh, okay. Thank you for that. I, I don't know. I'm moving through the slides, so I don't know what's happening. It's showing on my screen. Maybe it's me, Alan. Moore. Yeah,
5: thank you. Is anybody well, else? Still
1: had slide?
6: Slide.
5: Wow.
4: Okay. It's the same for the rest of us. Thank you. Same. All we see is the dedication page. Oh wow! Okay, let me see. If it we... says
1: you are sharing, but your
4: oral history is fantastic, brother. So don't lose your train of thought. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey, you know I'm going off the pitches, man.
6: Uh, man, I have <laughs> to see these joints for real. Wow, let's see what you are sharing your screen. I'm doing that. What in my That next? ain't nothing
1: but the CIA, <laughs> the me... FBI, the CIA.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
6: Yeah, let me see. Uh, I don't know why. I, yeah, I'm moving through these joints. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try something real quick and then I'm gonna try to go back to it. I stepped out for a second. I'm gonna try to go back to it. To see yeah, whether
1: I was going to recommend go out and come back in. Yeah.
6: Okay, we can see that. Oh, wow. I'm already on that. So in the interest of uh, y'all can see the local action committee.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
6: All right. Let me let me see if I can move. Okay. Because I'm just going to see whether it goes to the next slide. Can y'all see that? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm going to go back to this and we're going to keep it popping. All right. At, at the at simultaneous while these national while these international national things going on, if we remember, one of the strategies was like everybody can't go to Azania, everybody can't uh, go to New York or whatever. But what can we do in our local communities? And we were uh, tasked by uh, NCOBRA and others to go deal in our local municipalities around just simply getting resolutions supporting HR forty. The Conyers bill, and we took that to heart here in uh, Houston and in Texas. Now, I know Brother James uh, out of Dallas will speak to some of that. But this is um, this is. Let me go back a second. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. This here is um, again. We organized a. a a diverse coalition of people and put this to several administrations in the Houston government right here in Houston, Texas. And we'll see, um, we see representatives from the nation of Islam. We see, uh, brother, brother Edgar, Dr. Imario Bedelli and what have you. And so, but what we did was we also with our local action committee, we went about, um, Educating people in communities, whether they be churches, mosques, temples, community centers, we went out. We met. We met weekly on it. We went out to all of these various entities, talking and engaging our community around the uh, issue of reparations. We bought it. Then on the second administration, to the the uh, 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 climax. Y'all, y'all see all them cops, right? And uh, this is one of the. Uh, I had got detained uh, behind shutting down the Houston city council for around the issue of reparations. And again, it was a broad based coalition that was dedicated, not like a, a snap of the finger, but we were consistently raising this issue in our community and throughout. And to this day, Houston, to my knowledge, Houston doesn't even have a a support resolution around anything to do with reparations. And up at the top, it's kind of blocked out now, and this is going to come into play. Another one of the strategies was to look at some of these companies and these governmental entities that have benefited off of our enslaved ancestors and built their wealth. And right here, outside of Houston, was the Imperial Sugar Company. And I give strong it's not moving again. Okay, I
1: ain't moving. I ain't moving.
6: Did it a move? Mm-hmm. Did it move that time? You're saying sister?
1: consistent criminal injustice. It's, it's, yeah, it,
6: it moved. I, was, I, I wasn't trying to move it, Sister Crystal. What, okay. I, what, I, what I wanted to say about was is that in, period, in 2002, because of Brother Omar Wiley and some of his research, we found out about the criminal justice, the criminal injustice, uh, convict, lease, and labor, and the wealth, and we went down the Sugar Land, which is almost an hour away from here, did a rally, protest, petition, called for a boycott around the Imperial Sugar Company raising that particular issue up. Now, on this particular slide, this is the Black Justice Tuesday Coalition. This is about the consistent work in criminal justice, police terrorism, political prisoners, prisoners of war, and our exiles. And this is one of the protests for three and a half years. We went to the Harris County Courthouse, which is right by The prison industrial complex here in Houston, which the jail holds about ten to fourteen thousand people in the county jail itself. But we would go to city hall and various places around us, and in that coffin, you see uh, the picture of um, Ida Delaney, Carl Hampton, the sisters, the brothers who rose up in a rebellion in Freedman's Town, who were hung in the 1920s. You see Brian Clanch who was a cripple. He was, he was uh, an amputee that the Houston Police Department went in and shot and killed. And then also, uh, the brother's name at the top is escaping me, one of the indigenous brothers with the uniform on there. But so we were bringing this, we were constantly consistently bringing this issue of this criminal injustice system, police terrorism use of excessive force. Also a broad based coalition, Shaka Sankofa. He was executed by the state of Texas, June 22nd, 2000. There was a at least seven or eight year community based movement around keeping this brother alive. And it was successful a number of times, but in the end, George Bush and the state of Texas executed our brother Shaka Sankofa, and I would say Shaka was next to Mumia Abu Jamal was one of the most well-known internationally um, prisoners on death row. We know in Louisiana that's us there supporting our brother of brothers of the Angola Three. Albert Woodfox and King and uh, Woodfox just became egun ancestor a few months back. Herman Wallace Agoon, and King, Robert King Wilkins is still alive. We know about Sandra Bland. We see our great egun ancestor Mother Denver there. Uh, we hit the point on that. That is out by Prairie View in Waller County. We was uh, working with a lot of various groups there. Some of our uh, People in Exile, Asata Shakur. This is a solidarity rally at the federal building in Houston, Texas around Asata Shakur. This is Brother Marshall Eddie Conway, me and Brother Celine there up in Jessup Correctional Facility in Maryland. Marshall Eddie Conway, former Black Panther out of Baltimore, and he is a uh, Egun. He just became Egun not too long ago. When, one time when we were there visiting him, I went and saw him several times, sisters and brothers, is I say, Eddie, what should we do? He said, you know, we have a need to deal with our own food sovereignty. What about doing community gardens, but also name them after political prisoners? And that's exactly what it is that we did. And we still have operational now Sundiata Koli, Shaka Sankofa, Self-Determination Community Garden. Sundiata Coley, Black Panther Party, Black Liberation Army, he got out. He's 86. We had like a 30-plus year relationship in terms of supporting him. So when we talk about political prisoners, prisoners of war, what do we mean? Support, writing them letters, putting money on their books. When calls go out for campaigns to the parole boards, all of that, being down with that. Sundiata's from Texas, went to Prairie View, a&M University and he did he did 50 he did 50 or close to 49 is something but what happens with this garden is we teach people two things sisters and brothers one is how we grow how is it that we basically deal with our own food sovereignty but every time somebody goes there then we get the opportunity to speak about Sundiata Koli a former political prisoner prisoner of war and Shaka Sankofa who was a, uh, a prisoner of conscience. And then, this is here in H-Town when the masses of people uh, took over the street around Trayvon Martin, but y'all get the point. So we've been, we've, been on that, we've been on that work. And our point, one of our points that we consistently have made is that a part and parcel of one of the injury areas with reparations got to be the freedom of political prisoners, prisoners of war, and return of exiles. And then also serious structural change in the criminal injustice system. Now, is the slide still
1: open, sisters and brothers? Yes, sir. You looking good. You got the Sugar Land up
6: there? Right. Now, I want I you want to, to remember 2002, Sugar Land 95. This presentation that I'm giving you is like a compilation presentation of things that I put together. Also, our National Vice Chair of International Affairs, Sotara, Ola Shola and uh, our brother out of Kansas City, brother Mickey Dean. So let's get into this. This is uh, we talking about blood money. We talking about slavery by any other name. Now I'm gonna set the stage for you. In Texas, this man Stephen F. Austin acquired uh, Fort Bend County through uh, a Mexican land grant. He and others in 1823, he and others, we would talk about the indigenous, the power, power people, the indigenous people, they sought to massacre them. And they were being sought to massacre them even before when the Spanish were here in the 1600s, 1700s, and what have you. But they went all out with these land grants and that fertile uh, floodplain of the, Bra- of the Brazos River. The convict lease system. It is said to have operated in the United States between 1848 and 1928. That's free Emancipation Proclamation, particularly in Alabama. But when it blew up, when it all blew up was after 1865, after Emancipation Proclamation, after Juneteenth, and these people figured out with that 13th Amendment, which we know that slavery wasn't abolished. It was that clause in there that said you could still be enslaved if you had committed a a crime. And this is during the Black Codes era, and they had these laws, these vagrancy laws, uh, riding on the rail, loitering, too many of us being together, gambling, talking too loud in public, so that then they could get their free labor. We
2: already
6: know uh, corruption all of that and it's the root though that's why I was talking about our work in the prison uh, cr- uh, the criminal so called criminal justice system that this finds the root we get into the root of what we see today in that convict leasing and labor and in a lot of ways in these southern states slavery was replaced by convict labor and these are just some pictures of some of the ancestors in different states, but who were used and treated. Some people say that it was worse than slavery. What who, who could be worse than slavery? Well, they say that there was some interest in treating our ancestors with a modern. Uh, 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 of dignity in slavery because of the value in the prison convict lease system they had they had no such value you, could, you couldn't sell these people so then you could just work them to death and get another one so these states made contracts with independent industries and they did mm-hmm. that here in excuse Houston, me at the, uh, the, is
1: the person named Diana please mute your phone we're hearing your backdrop and it's interrupting the brothers' music. Make presentation, as you were, brother Kofi. Yes. Uh
6: so this is a little history of the Imperial <laughs> Sugar Company going back to 1830. You'll see when you when you go down, you'll see different people. Uh, they first got the company through a land grant through, through Stephen. Uh, I mean that area through Stephen F. Austin. Then different people they changed hands of ownership over who owned the Imperial Sugar Company and these names that we're seeing here, Cunningham, Ellis, um, Eldridge, all of these people are very prominent people whose streets are named after them throughout Texas and particularly this region in Texas, but they made their blood money off of our free labor. And this is a slide that tells you what it looks like today. If you've never been here, this is one of the most richest, cleanest suburbs. It's about, again, about 45 minutes of legit drive outside of Houston to Sugarland that you're going to see where they have the first colony mall and they got plantation. They got the big houses named after plantations, but it's all soaked in our blood. And I want to tell you in, you know, getting prepared for this, I'm reminded of what John Henry Clark said about reading some of these documents about what happened with our ancestors. And it's like, it makes you want to get a six pack and six handkerchiefs. So Dr. Clark said, so these are some of the companies that still to this day, currently benefit from convict labor or prison labor. So when people say the claim and demand for reparations that was a long time ago, we already know that we're dealing with the vestiges of it, and people are still, to this day, making money off of it. Now, the Sugarland 95. You can look at the dates here very specifically, since the Sotara did an excellent job of laying things out. It was 2018 when it became known or announced to the public that they had found remains, human remains, on this site where the Fort Bend Independent School District was building this $50 million high school. Prior to that, our Agu and our ancestor, Brother Reginald Moore, who spent 20 years researching this, had warned these people not to build this school on that because they were likely to find remains. I'm here today to tell you, brothers and sisters, this is the only fully intact cemetery, to our knowledge, that has been found with victims of convict lease and labor. They were in pine boxes. They called it the hell hole on the Brazos. The hell hole on the Brazos. They didn't heed Brother Reginald Moore's warning, but they did find remains there. And when they announced that, because we had been doing the work several years before and knew about it, then we jumped right on that and went to the Fort Bend Independent School District and told them a few things. That's some of the, uh, that's the construction of the school. And it had been identified that there were 95 human remains. I think 94 of them were African men. One African woman, and I think of those 94, I'm not sure if the youngest age, the youngest age may have been uh, 15 or 16. And through some of the forensics, they could tell how some of the people died through a brutal, brutal system. And you see in the back the construction of the school. Like I said, we went there, we went with a uh, Chief Priestess Omilana Fakbimro, Amosan, Brother Derek Muhammad, and myself, we went and met with the, met with the superintendent of the schools. We went there with a list. List to, they really didn't have much to say, and automatically they went into damage control mode. We also did a tour. Of the facility you know how you see archaeologists you know with the with the paint brushes and everything and when we went out there it was about like it is now 100 felt like 100 degrees out there there was no person of african ancestry doing that work from this company that they had so again we organized a coalition with a lot of different groups we called it the uh task force, the African burial ground in Sugar Land, taking some of what we have seen and learned and communicated with about the African burial ground there in New York City. And these are the issues that we presented uh, to them and to the public, the intellectual control. We're saying, number one, the people that they had working on the site, they have, they're not properly credentialed to even understand African culture black history, or any of those things to be working on the site. Again, about the African burial ground, though, it's different. There were some good lessons to be learned about that fight that went on and how that was handled. Descendant community engagement. So they can get the DNA, then identify the descendants. Also, uh, the establishment of a museum there, And then, of course, full and complete reparations, specifically around the descendant community. And basically, what the Fort Bend Independent School District did was play a game of public relations. They try to act like it is that they care about what people were saying should be done, all the while... They were concerned about the building of their $50 million school, about what laws, because we were in the courtroom at different times, about what laws there were, what they had to follow legally. One of the victories is they were trying to actually remove the remains from that resting place, and because of the community outcry, they were unable to do that. Now, to this day, they say that they're doing some level of DNA analysis. We're very suspicious of that, and they have not engaged in a descendant full engagement, a robust descendant community engagement, because if we think about it, when they identify, there's some people that live in that area today or wherever we may be across the country that can be identified, then that would give some legal standing, it seems like, to us as to what happens. This was so deep. It got so hot and heavy that the politicians in, in, in that area, both some of the black ones and the white ones and, and others, they said, look, we're going we're to strike a deal in order to get this museum, have the county be the caretaker, not not the not the school district of it and we're going to do some financing behind it you all already know about the state of texas the state they actually had to get a law passed through the state legislature to allow the county to become caretaker of this sacred site where the sugarland 95 remains were found And then at the last minute, at the 11th hour, the school district pulled out of that agreement. These is politicians in and of themselves working out something that would seem uh, reasonable, and then they pulled out. And it's our contention they pulled out because no matter what they said in public is what they were obligated to do based on the law and that is why they pulled out. They they were not obligated in which to do that. And they did some Sham task force and advisory committees and what have you. That Sister Sotaro we would fill up the school board meetings, have rallies, protest meetings, um, town hall meetings, all of those various things. And um then they offered some money too. This is this is another thing. That we got to be real clear on. So they gave a contract to a black uh, funeral home of about two hundred and some thousand dollars to build these little uh, small coffins that the remains could go in. And we kept telling this company, look, (laughs) all money ain't good money. This is blood money. Now, this person, as far as I know, they never had anything to do with the work that Reginald Moore had been doing in his organization or anybody else who had raised up in support of the Sugar Land 95. And by the way, let me say this, that, you know, we have the tradition in our movement with our uh, political prisoners of the uh, naming the naming. Uh, Many of them like the Angola 3, the Panther 21, the Wilmington 10, the RNA 11, all of these various groups. And Brother Derek Muhammad is the one that came up with the idea to call call them the Sugarland 95 in that vein. At that point in time, they were unknown, but it was in that same spirit. And I just wanted to mention that. So these are just some of the pictures of some of the some of the protests with the with uh, diversity of various activists. This is us at the courthouse. These are uh, some different activities that had took place. And there were many. There are many others. And as I said, there are many different groups. We're not sitting here trying to say that MBUS did all of this. No way, shape, or form. We always organize. Um, and have a mass kind of appeal as well as coalition building and what it is that we were doing. Now, um that's another that that was another protest where we had we put on the war paint. We put on the we put on the war paint um at one of their meetings and what have So um and then that's at another sham activity that they were having that we went in and uh I think we went in and shut that down. So where did all of this go? Let me say this, that basically through all of the efforts that we put forth, as I said, we were able to have some small victories, but the biggest thing that we had not been able to acquire or get on our side, even to this day, is legal representation for the Sugarland 95. And we went and met with various lawyers and what have you because if you know anything about the criminal injustice system here it's kind of like cps or child protective services where the court can appoint what they call an ad litem an attorney for children that's supposed to look out for their interests and they have one of those people in this case for the deceased ancestors but They were not doing anything on behalf of the deceased ancestors. They get get paid and appointed by uh, the judges and what have you in the court. But no lawyer that we were able to find was able to take up the claim on their behalf and put forth any substantial legal filings relative to the Sugar Land 95. But there remains, they went ahead, they built a school, they had to change their whole plan Built a school around the gravesite, which is which is still there, and um, they say, as I said, they say that they are they are they are uh, uh, doing DNA testing or what have you. They also say that um, they've identified some of them. There's there's a website with Fort Ben ISD with Sugarland 95. Now you can go on there and look at their documentation, but I say look at it with a high degree of skepticism and caution about what it is that had been done with them. So then we 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 like at the root. Look at these pictures. That's why I was talking about the six packs and the six handkerchiefs. I don't know what state each one of these pictures come from with this convict lease and labor, but you see the children that were being used in the chain gangs and what have you. So we don't want to forget them ever in this, in this demand, in this work around reparations, um, just a couple of things as I begin to close out, Sister Crystal. Some of the things that are happening now: the National Black United Front in Kansas City, with the good work of uh, Brother Mickey Dean and Brother Will Bowles and what have you. We know that different locales are taking up issues of setting up commissions and what have you. And they've been working on this for a number of years relative to the commission. And uh, they just recently set up a 13-member historic reparations commission. And you can just Google that and see where it is that uh, that stands. But that's very recent in the city of Kansas City. And then the other thing that... I know that many of us know that when we talk about reparations, the external um, culprits or criminals, uh, government entities, private industries, and all of that, they got to pay in all different forms, but that doesn't stop us from doing much of our internal work relative to the repair. We're not solely waiting on them in terms of doing our work. And one of the things that we do, in the uh, National Black United Front is, okay, did I lose it? Is the Sankofa Caravan to the Ancestors. And so for 26 years, it'll be coming up from Houston to Galveston on the third Saturday of the month where we're dealing with our spiritual, cultural, historical traditions on the beach in Galveston where they said Ranger came in um, on June 19th, 1865. And there's a whole bunch of our history in the state of Texas in Galveston because obviously it was a port of entry. Some of our enslaved ancestors came there. So we get down with that spiritual, cultural, and historical education through practice was that corporate caravan to the ancestors and then uh did y'all do y'all see that flyer blow up a little bit yes sir all right all right i want to make sure y'all are still awake all right and then the lastly um we'll be coming up on our 44th annual national convention we'll be in pittsburgh this year and you can go to mbuff.net mbuff.net to see the full schedule and we'll be Building on this tradition that we talked about, about uh, how can we come together in unity and building coalitions around things that are important to us as a people. All right, so I'm gonna stop to share now, and I'm I'm back again.
1: Same so, black power, very powerful, very yeah. powerful. You back? Um, you still got a few more. Mom, you still got a few more ticks.
6: Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that you know, as I said that somebody said in the beginning that a part of this work is spiritual. You know, is 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 legal, is political, is on the ground, is in the streets, is uh, economic, is all of that, and a, a part of it is uh, spiritual too. And when we think about all of those who come before us, and this particular aspect, when we look at this prison, he's we need to make sure we include that particular work. So I, I thank you. I say Asante Sana again for the opportunity to speak to you, Sister Chairwoman, and all of those who are participating and those who may have been watching uh, Black Power. I am Kofi Taharka. I have the privilege, the honor, and the responsibility of being the national chairman of the National Black
1: United Front. Black Power. We want to thank Brother Kofi Taharka again, you know, many of those pictures you saw, I was on the front line. I am a member, a lifelong member of the National Black United Front as well. This is the organization that I uh, kind of broke my teeth in. I kind of broke my teeth in as far as activism worked. Uh I was attending the National Black United Front um, meetings on Mondays. I was uh, actively uh, going and getting knowledge from the mosque at uh, Mosque 45 with the Nation of Islam and simultaneously going to uh, meetings at the Shrine of the Black Madonna and uh, also working with uh, Brother Deloitte Parker at the Shape Center doing various community activities. So these organizations were part of my foundation as far as being, you know, first coming into my consciousness, then becoming an activist, and eventually a revolutionary because those are three different stages that you will see our people uh, get involved with, I mean, evolve too. But the boots on the ground work at the time, the chairman was Brother Judon Boney, and we were organizing uh, for the justice for Shaka Sankofa. And as Brother Kofi mentioned earlier, that was a from 1993 up until 2000. That was a seven-year battle. In fact, the people, we stopped his execution five times. He had five previously slated executions, but it was the organizing work, of the folks in Houston, around the country, and even internationally that helped to stop it. And as Brother Kofi mentioned, uh, that old devil George Bush used that as his murder as a platform to get him to the White House. And the rest of the world and the nation felt and understood the wickedness that we were dealing with here in Texas. And we want to salute and ask everyone to continue to support the National Black United Front. With everyone that's doing the presentation here, we purposely reached out to because not only did they have a message to bring, but because they've been doing the work, doing the work. So we have a lot of articulate people who can speak well and have a lot of good things to say. But the people who are presented here, and I can tell you for a fact, we put boots on the ground. But the COVID was with us in he was with uh, in Jasper. I think he was in Jasper with Doctor Collins, were you not, Brother Kofi? He was with us in Hemp Hill for Alfred Wright. Countless demonstrations here in Houston, Texas. And we support the the, the work, the good work of the National Black Knight Front, our brothers and sisters here in the New Black Panther Party. These are our comrades. Whenever they need us we're there. And vice versa. There hasn't been a time when we and in particular myself called upon Brother Kofi and he himself, and the beautiful brothers and sisters of the National Black United Front were there. And every on a week on a monthly basis, they're out in the heart of third ward feeding and serving the people. It's not enough time to go over the work that this organization is done and this chairman is done. I've even seen Brother Kofi, uh, we were in New York at Malcolm X's graveyard. He crisscrosses this nation, fighting for political prisoners, reparations, and all forms of justice. And we salute you, Brother Kofi, black power, black power, free to land, all right, we we doing we, we doing good here. Just a little a little schedule things we're gonna have to do. We want to ask everybody to, to put a to, to do our prayers for Brother Reginald Gordon of Operation OG One. He was slated to do a presentation, uh, but he called me last night said he had got struck stricken uh, and had been hospitalized. He didn't know he had COVID. Although so they're telling me he had COVID. So he would not be able to do a presentation but it just so happens as i mentioned earlier brother Lukman was uh was te- was uh pulling uh my attention to the brother sipaway uh and Guinea who has been doing a lot of work for reparations on the for the the colonized uh colonizers in africa and other works international work so we're going to ask the brother to take in that time slot for Brother Reggie, so you have a full thirty minutes. And that new time slot, uh, Brother Sipaway, is one PM Central. Now I'm not sure what time, brother, you can come out for mute. I'm not sure what time one PM Central is in uh in uh, guinea bissau And and he, this is how the ancestors work. Uh about a year and two years ago, I got my uh African ancestry uh DNA checked. And it came back and said I was, on my matriarchal side, it says 100% from Guinea-Bissau, of the Balanta tribe. And I've been doing my research, doing my research, and I was like, man, I got to, you know, I got to get to Guinea-Bissau. And, you know, and I found out, you know, I said, damn, Balanta. I found out what that meant. And I was like, I got to get down there. And who know, Who knew? I'm talking about it was 48 hours ago. We were out. We were out at the Juneteenth event. Um, what day was that? Saturday. And Brother uh, Lukeman said we got to get the brother on. I said, bring him on. No doubt. No doubt. We'll slide him in. We was gonna try to squeeze you in this morning, but you'll get a whole slot uh, in just a little bit. So we thank you, brother. Be patient with us. Black Power. Um, point of Black
4: Power. Point of clarification. When you yes, sir. say one p.m., is that 1pm eastern is 1pm
1: central 1pm okay. central so so, one, so so eastern time is 2pm
4: it's 2pm eastern so i was prepared um to give my presentation um originally as we had scheduled now i will have uh technical difficulties um uh, uh later on this evening so if, it's, what, it's, if, let, if me, it's let me ask, let me all possible
1: let me ask right quick let me ask the next presenter brother james yes yes brother so, james are you able to switch to present at one instead of 11 because of the brother's uh time issue in africa
2: Oh yeah, you know I'm flexible. Uh, but if he's you're going to go to the next person. No, he's uh, going to go now. And then
1: you would ne- next, brother James. Right,
2: correct. I was supposed but, to go on it. Yeah,
1: you, so you would come on after 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 you. It would be brother Barudi, uh, Walamu Barudi. Then after Barudi would be you, brother James.
2: Okay, yeah, like I said, I'm flexible uh, my subject matter is not so complicated, and it's not so
1: long, so i'm 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 able to
2: you know just sit sit in and watch for a while.
1: Wow, thank you, Brother James. I love these brothers and sisters <laughs> i just I'm talking about these good, solid you know, just solid people. that's all we're looking for. That's all we need. We got some more people in the waiting room my, my apologies guys let me let me get y'all in here.
2: Can I just say one thing? Yes, sir. I just want to, I want to just give a thanks to my brother, Kofi. Uh, you know, we go way
1: back and I,
2: and I want him to know I really enjoyed his presentation.
1: That's right. That's right. Black power, black power. Hello. All right. So with our brother, without any further ado, our brother coming to us live from the motherland. We international, Pan-Africanist, brother. a simple way. You got to, do you have a, you started your screen, so you have a PowerPoint?
4: Yes. Uh Okay. Let me get this set up.
1: While you setting it up, tell us about yourself, brothers.
4: Uh, Kumama Abene. Fidoki Da Brasamala Sipiwe Abene bin Hamne I said in my native Balanta language. Greetings. Welcome. My name is Sipiwe Baleka and I thank the wise ones of the past. Uh, I wanted to start by speaking my ancestral tongue because I'm greeting you from my ancestral homeland. Uh, and I do thank the ancestors that I have been able to um, identify my fifth-generation great-grandfather who was taken in as an eight-year-old boy from his village Nunche here in what is called Guinea-Bissau on the West African coast, and he was enslaved. He was trafficked as a prisoner of war and enslaved in um, Charleston, South Carolina, and then later Cary, North Carolina. I am the eighth generation of Brasa and Chabra that ancestor who survived the Middle Passage. And I begin my presentation um, to set an example that it is possible to heal from ethnocide, to regain your identity, your history, the one before the slave ship, your language, and even your land. Because as I said, I'm calling here from Guinea-Bissau, Abene. Um, I want to thank um, I want to thank you, Crystal, um, and thank you, Brother Jami Lukman, for inviting me and giving me this opportunity. Um, can you see my screen? Is is it up yet? Uh, yes, the lady
1: with the orange dress.
4: Okay, <laughs>
1: but that's <there's> a gray <laughs> bar, lady. The... It's me. You... Oh, I'm sorry. It's a, yeah.
4: the, the, it. the
1: it's a gray bar going across the top. let me see
4: It's
1: a gray bar going across the face. Yeah, I see it. Okay. Oh, my
4: apologies, brother. Mhm. Anyways, that's me wearing a traditional um ano de pinti which is um it's just a it's a it's a blanket, it's a wrap uh, it's considered to be the most special gift um here in Guinea-Bissau. Um just a brief background, I was born and raised in Chicago or suburbs of Chicago, um, was a, a national champion swimmer, went to college at Yale University. Um, when I left school, um, I left school with the intention of not being a tool for white supremacy and um, finding out how I could serve my people, um, join the revolution. And at that point, um, My first mentor was George Edwards of the original New Haven Black Panther Party. Um, And after leaving New Haven, I went to Chicago. So when good brother um, uh, Kofi is talking about uh, National Black United Front and brother Conrad Worrell, I was living in Chicago in the um, uh, late 90s um, and was attending NBUFF cultural events. I first joined in COBRA at that time under Baba Hannibal afrique and Sister Erlina Um But at that time, I had become um, most inspired by the Rastafari movement that was in Chicago. And as a result, um, um, uh, I had become a devout Rastafarian. Um, I had went and lived in Ethiopia. I had worked at the African Union, and I um, – just before I did that um, – I was working at the Nkrumah Washington Community Learning Center in Chicago on 51st and Ada. Uh, this was a remnant of the original National Conference of Black Lawyers Community College of Law and International Diplomacy that was set up by uh, Dr. Charles Knox of the Iowa Black Panther Party, uh, as well as Dr. Cly, who was one of Malcolm X's um uh, best students who went on to be chairman of the Organization of African-American Unity Canada chapter. These were my mentors, and at the time, the late 1990s, um, they gave me my first assignment, which was to study the United Nations 1503 procedure um, and draft a petition on behalf of African-American people under this 1503 pr- procedure. And that's how I began my interest in international diplomacy on behalf of new African people and behalf of the entire African diaspora. Um, I have since then negotiated citizenship in at least five different African countries, made presentations at the African Union, the United Nations. Um, So that's just a little bit about my background. And um, my presentation today is going to be – let's see, is it going to – having a little technical difficulty. Well, let me move my slide for – hold on one second. Let me come out and try it again.
1: That's what Kofi had to do, go out and come back in.
4: (laughs) Yeah, let let me come back in, try it one more time.
1: Meanwhile, Uh, we're getting a lot of comments in the the chat while he's doing that. Uh, People are telling us about the YouTube. uh, We were having difficulty connecting to YouTube, uh, technical difficulty uh, earlier this morning. Uh, So what we will do is to this uh, YouTube, this Zoom presentation, uh, teaching is being recorded. So we will have to upload it. Uh, I guess hopefully it will be up this broadcast is going to be going on until 9 a.m so within the next 24 to 48 hours we will have this video uploaded onto youtube our attempts to go live uh did not happen so if you guys who are participating uh and want to get your other folks involved just send in the message just send in the zoom link uh, and they, they're going to have to watch by zoom if they want to see it live so we, we apologize for that but it's nothing we can do at this point Black Power. Go okay, but brother. Sip away. It's still not sharing.
4: All right. It, uh, can you see it? Yeah, it should be working now.
1: No, it just says. Can you see the screen. I don't see it. It just says Sipway has started screen sharing,
4: but we're not uh, seeing
1: anything. Do you see anybody else see anything? Okay, I see
4: it now. We see the. It's showing on mine. Okay, you see it now. Oh, all right. So. I'm going to go through this fast. I will make my presentation available afterwards. Um, there's a lot of information. Um, but really, um, my presentation is about the Lincoln administration's recognition of new African rights under natural and international law, the 14th Amendment fraud, and the unfinished business of Malcolm X and Amari o- Obadelli. <clears throat> so... I want to begin with this question, um, and the question is, have the Afro-descendants or black folks now within the United States ever been converted in accordance with settled principles of universally established law into United States citizens and divested altogether of their original foreign African nationality? This is a question of extreme international legal importance for the global African reparatory justice movement? Um, Answers to this question will provide the framework um, that we haven't been able to uh, invoke at the highest courts of the planet, uh, which is the ICJ and um, ICC, International Court of Justice and International Criminal Court. Now, Back in 1841, in the decision in the United States for the, versus the and the claims of the Shunar Amistad, that decision declared that as prisoners of war, we owe no allegiance to any nation's laws and we retain the right to return to our ancestral homelands. In fact, that decision says that a formal Former domicile is not abandoned by residents in another if that residence be not voluntarily chosen. Those who are in exile or in prison, as they are never presumed to have abandoned all hope of return, retain their former domicile. So I want you to think back to that ancestor, either your maternal or paternal ancestor, the one that was captured you know, in their family territory. And as Malcolm X said, if we want to solve a problem, we have to go to the origin of the problem. And the origin of our problem began on the African continent when your ancestor was seized and captured against their will. And at that moment, they, made, they became a combatant in a war that was declared by the Pope on June 18, 1452. So they were trafficked as prisoners of war, and we came here against, uh, against our will. Now, President Lincoln, at that time, considered the, the the question of the right of free Negroes, but still prisoners of war, um, their right to uh, return to their African territories and establish new governments. In fact, it was recognized by the Lincoln administration. Uh, in his first inaugural address, he said, that um, to carry out the plan of colonization may involve the acquiring of territory and also the appropriation of money beyond that to be expended in the territorial acquisitions. And the question of our constitutional power to do so, meaning to either negotiate for return or set up independent colonies within the United States, he said the question of our constitutional power to do so is no longer an open question and thus began the Lincoln's administration reluctantly to make good on our internationally protected human rights. April 16, 1862, uh, the President signed an act that appropriated $600,000, which is the equivalent of about $18 million today, right, to recognize our right to return. The President had... Um, uh, was given the authorization to make provisions for the transportation, repatriation and settlement of such persons of the African race made free by the provisions of this act William Henry Seward who was the um, Secretary of State um, began negotiations with foreign powers and at that time They were looking to negotiate 10 years' treaties to be signed by the United States and the countries desiring immigration. The latter were required to give specific guarantees for the perpetual freedom, protection, and equal rights of the colonies and their descendants. Let me just stop here for a minute and say, okay, this is the same thing that we are trying to do now, is to get the 55 member states of the African Union, Right, the governments of the territories where our ancestors were taken from, to negotiate with the United States and other uh, enslaving, guilty uh, criminal powers right, for our voluntary right to return for those who want it. I'm going to talk more about the actual effort that's underway to do that legally. Um, but I, I want to connect these two histories and make the point that before the Fourteenth Amendment, the Lincoln administration was actually following amara Obadelli's uh point that we had four choices, and that all of them um were to be respected um The President had came to the firm opinion that emigration must be voluntary and without expense to those who went now uh After, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the Emancipation Proclamation. We're celebrating Juneteenth, but before that were the Confiscation Acts of August the 6th, 1861, and July 17th, 1862. Um, And those acts created a new class of freemen that were not United States citizens. This class... um, as all of us who are students of Amaria Obadelli understand, at that time, these new free men and women were left outside of the American political social community. They were free human beings with inalienable rights, but no recognized political rights within the United States. Okay? Um, with the Emancipation Proclamation, right, the pertinent words were that The people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States. Excuse me. All persons held as slaves within those territories shall then be thenceforward and forever free. And the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom. Now, what was meant by freedom at that time? what was meant by liberty. Chief Justice Warren said that although the court has not assumed to define liberty with any great precision, that term is not confined to mere freedom from bodily restraint. Liberty under law extends to the full range of conduct which the individual is free to pursue and it cannot be restricted except for a proper governmental objective. So at this time, from uh, the confiscation acts The Emancipation Proclamation, from between that time and the 14th Amendment, there were two separate communities, each with its own view of a proper governmental objective. The United States has its governmental objective, but we as free people had our own governmental objective, and so no decision could be made without the consent of these new free individuals. All of this great history for for Juneteenth. So, above all, the right to liberty inhering in the new class and its individual members necessarily extended to political activity. And the most pressing political matter facing the new class was the matter of its future political construction and or future political relations. This meant that the liberty of the freed men and women extended to the right to seek admission as citizens to the American community, the right to return home to Africa, the right of liberty would extend to the right of general emigration to uh, a third-party country, and not least of which, the right um, to set up an independent state of its own. Okay? Now, on January 12th, 1865, United States Secretary of War Edwin McMaster Stanton and United States Army General William Tecumseh Sherman met in Savannah with a black government council consisting of 20 representatives of the new class of free persons. Garrison Fraser was chosen by the uh, persons present to express the common sentiments upon the matters of inquiry. Okay. So, he was asked the questions – uh what is the best way that the new class of freedmen and women can take care of themselves? And he answered, it is to have land. And he was asked, in what manner would you rather live, either scattered amongst the whites or in colonies by yourselves? And the answer was in colonies by ourselves. So I want to make the point that at least here, from the very first ancestors who stepped, who survived the Middle Passage and stepped off the slave ship, their first prayer According to them, reparatory justice reparations was real simple, right? We want to go back to where we came from. We want to go back to our homelands. That was the first uh, reparatory justice. By 1865, we made it known that if we can't go back, we want to live in our own independent – we want our own land and we want to live in our own independent uh, uh, um, colonies um, that would eventually become independents. Integration, citizenship was not on our agenda. That is not what we wanted, and that is not what we expressed to the government. Now... um, as a result of these negotiations, as most of us know, Sherman issued Special Field Order Number 15. Not only did we get the territories in the Carolinas, but we also got territories in um, Davis Bend, Mississippi. In fact, more people were resettled on that territory than were in the Carolinas. Um, So here, then, is the establishment of self-governing new African communities under the protection of the United States on land which the Americans claimed ultimate title to but which they ceded to new Africans and were given possessory title, okay? All of this is going to be relative to going to the International Court of Justice today. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Um, Just as soon – this is the key part here – just as soon as the United States government recognized the inalienable right of the new class to seek admission as citizens, our right of return, because uh, the Lincoln administration had already set up right voluntary emigration with compensation, the Lincoln administration already set aside territory for us to set up our independent uh, territories, so the Lincoln administration was recognizing all of that, just as soon right, they murdered uh, assassinated President Lincoln, that was a coup, that was a takeover, and the day after President Lincoln's assassination on April 15th, President Andrew Johnson rescinded field order 15 and returned to Confederate owners the 400,000 acres of land. So we, you know, we haven't been taught history properly. There was a an illegitimate coup that took over the government that actually was recognizing our right to return, was willing to pay for our repatriation, and give us land and recognize our right to independence. What happened after that is what is known as the great fraud, right? In the final report of the United States Congress Joint Committee of 15, 18th June, 1866, they considered this difficult logistical problem, meaning you had all these free people that were in the South, And what they realized was now that we were no longer considered three-fifths human beings, now that we were counted as five-fifths human beings, that meant that the representation in the government from the Southern Confederate States would increase. Now, if we weren't given the vote, that means that the Southern Confederate States would get a greater share of the government but they were going to vote against all of the union proposals, et cetera, et cetera. So it was the union people, the abolitionists, all these people in the north that realized they were going to lose power. And so they came up with this plan that said, let us convince the, 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 the newly freed people that their only option is to become citizens. Otherwise, you're, you're destined for, for servitude. And we will remove the option of returning to your ancestral homeland under voluntary compensated emigration, and we're going to remove the option of setting up your own independent homeland. Thus, the American community reacting to its own need for black labor and reacting to what it believed to be a difficult logistical problem, reacting to a fear of increased political power for the Confederates, determined to limit the liberty of the new class of men in the political arena to the single option of United States citizenship. The 14th Amendment passed by Congress in June 1866 and ratified by the states in July of 1868 was then the consecration of a campaign of war and fraud by the American community against the new class wrongfully and illegally to prevent the new class from exercising the full range of political liberty that belonged to it that was already recognized by the Lincoln Administration. Now, I'm going to fast-forward because um, uh, I don't have a whole lot of time left, and I want to respect every, every all the other presenters. Um, this was eventually called the fraud of the century, and we know it as, you know, um, what happened after so-called Reconstruction. What I want to get to is um, <clears throat> the work of Brother Malcolm and Amari and how that relates to today. Uh, Amara Obadeli had said the Fourteenth Amendment is incorrectly read when it's um, as an offer of citizenship. or Excuse me, when it's if it's read as a grant imposing citizenship and not an offer, um, an offer that we can vote uh, to accept or reject. Um, now. I happen to be uh, a member of ENCOBRA's Health Commission and its International Affairs Commission. Recently, we did a, the ENCOBRA the Health Commission and Education Commission did a workshop entitled The Unfinished Business of Malcolm and Amari Obadeli, Taking Our Claim to the International Court of Justice. Um, that presentation is available to uh, for people to have, so I won't go through all of it. But just the important points were that when Malcolm talked about taking our place to the United Nations, and this was after, as Brother Kofi had already acknowledged, you know, we had W. E. Du Bois, we had William Patterson, we had Paul Robeson charge the United States States with genocide in 1950, but after studying that, we realized that going to the Human Rights Commission um, doesn't have – it's not legally binding. Human Rights Commission and Human Rights uh, Declaration is policy. Um, The Human Rights Commission can't – it's not legally binding, and this is true with kind of all United Nations uh, 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 organs, which is uh, even if they were to substantiate our claims, how do you enforce them? That's always the problem. But Malcolm, um, when he went, when he was talking about internationalizing our struggle and taking it to the United Nations, what a lot of people don't understand was he was specifically um, working to get countries in Africa to raise our case legally. And when he came back from his tr- second trip in 1964, he was discussing with um, um, Gaidi Obadeli, uh, Mario Obadeli's brother, uh, in an interview. He said several of the African nations promised official support, and come the next session of the UN, any effort on our part to bring our problem before the UN, they will show us how to bring it up legally. See, in the past, we have been making our case historically and morally, and we have done that for decades. We've provided them, you know, uh, um, Du Bois and Patterson documented all of the police brutality cases, the same ones that we're now sending information to the United Nations to now, George Floyd, you know, all of them, right? Um, We did that back in 1950. We're not doing anything new today. By bringing these uh, violations of human rights to the Human Rights Commission, what Malcolm wanted to do was bring it before the International Court of Justice. And when he had succeeded in getting Bur- uh, Burundi, Tanzania, and Kenya to bring the case before the court, um, two weeks later he was killed. Dang, but, he was, power. That's he was assassinated. Oh, that's a, such a
1: powerful point, and I need you to. To, to push it as further as possible because the time is coming. All but right, I'll have to do, it uh, do it in, in five minutes.
4: Uh, actually, five minutes. Not only was
1: Mal- you got two minutes. Go ahead.
4: All right, two minutes. Not only was Malcolm uh, assassinated, um, his counterpart in Kenya, Pino Ponto, uh Pino, G- 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 I forget his name. He, he was the guy he was working with. He got assassinated, and the guy in Burundi also got assassinated. So, um. Ultimately, um, the United States government has already admitted in its response to Amara Obadelli's Article Three briefs, the United States government has already said that the question of our citizenship requires a decision upon the issue of whether black folks now within the United States have ever been converted in accordance with settled principles of universally established laws into United States citizens and divested altogether of our original foreign nationality. The United States government admits that, that is a question it cannot solve, uh, answer in domestic court. So now we have to bring it into international court. And there is a movement today. This is the successor to the We Charge Genocide movement in the 1950s. It's the successor to MBUF's We Charge Genocide campaign um, uh, in the 80s and 90s. At this point, There's a new variable in the equation, which is the United Nations has established the permanent form of people of African descent, which allows us to um, access to the International Court of Justice under Chapter 4, Article 65, which gives the court the power to answer any legal question put to it. And so in December of this past year – one minute, one minute, one minute. minute. No, 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 no.
1: Actually – Actually, I stand corrected. The brother's presentation was an hour. You actually have 30 more minutes. My Fantastic. Uh-huh. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much. Fibble, right. so let go me, ahead, let me back up a minute. <laughs> let me back up a minute. Okay. I'm, I'm not a morning person. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm was trying to do this legally, he was tired of making the historic appeal and the moral appeal. He was like, how do we hold them legally accountable? Okay. And I would also want to remind people that Malcolm said right, that our long-term goal was citizenship in Africa. He said 22 million so-called Negroes should be separated completely from America and should be permitted to go back home to our African homeland, which is a long-range program. In the short range, we still have to live here. We have to eat. We have to sleep. We need clothes. right? So although although our long-range political philosophy is to migrate back to our African homeland, our short-range program must involve that which is necessary to enable us to live a better life while we're still here. But that was 60 years ago, exactly 60 years ago. So the question is, is like, what did he mean by long range? Did he mean 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? Like, wh- how long is long enough? Now, Amara Obadeli was telling us and showing us that the mechanical steps to our independence and to our repatriation began with, right, a petition drive, an education campaign, where we had to teach the things that I'm teaching now that we weren't taught, teach what um the teach what our international status our status under international law is and how to use the legal mechanisms to affect self-determination he said right the key to for the key to our legitimacy is consent and a specific campaign must be conducted to make them and concurrently the world see that our cause is just under moral law and correct under international law and that the law of the United States is deficient and failing to provide a peaceful formula for the separation of communities seeking their independence. The essential strategy of our people for land is to array enough power to force the greatest power, the United States, to abide by international law. So whether we like it or not, despite the fact that we know that international law is still colonial law, still neo-colonial law, right, we were still to use that forum as part of our strategy, okay? Um, And again, Amara Obadeli, you know, in his case against the United States, the Article 3 briefs in 1973, he put the questions to the government and the government admitted that our status as citizens is still undetermined, and that can only be answered in, according to universal – principles of universally established law, meaning it has to be uh, – it can't be done in a domestic court because domestic law is not universal. It's biased towards you know, the rulers of the United States. So what are we getting at here? The matter of our conversion is the substantive issue to be taken up at the International Court of Justice. A valid and legitimate question is, what is our status under international law? And then the immediate follow-up question is, how was or is this status determined? An honest assessment of the second question will show that any such status was obtained without the informed consent of our people and thus invalidates the answer to the first question. Okay. Our strategy, again, should be to provoke the United Nations through the International Court of Justice to make an advisory judgment on our status and force it to the conclusion that our status cannot be determined under the spirit and letter of the UN Charter, Article 76, and principles of international law without conducting a plebiscite. And everyone coming out of the Black Panther Party camp knows